0: Well, happy Father's Day, Pathway Church. I hope it's been a great day for you dads. Uh, you know, being a father is not easy. Uh, there's a lot of things that we don't know when we start out. And even at the beginning time, it's, it's hard. Uh, a young man was pacing the hallways of the hospital, perspiration, anxiety. His wife was in labor, and because he was a little finicky about blood, he didn't go back with her. So he's walking the hallways, and and she's in labor, and and he's just really torn up and really, really messed up. Finally, at 4 o'clock in the morning, the nurse comes out and says, Sir, you have a beautiful baby girl. He said, Thank God. She won't have to go through all this agony that I've gone through this evening. Okay, moms, that's, that's not really fair. I, I realize that you have it on us in the fact that in the beginning, you're the only one that has to push a baby out of your body. We Guys get, don't have to do that, so that's, that's kind of nice. But in fairness... You get a better day, too. You know, people get really excited about Mother's Day. Father's Day is just kind of, uh, okay, it's Father's Day, you know. I uh, don't get real excited about that. And, uh, but I, I got a special treat last night. Brenda took me to 14 Bones. Wow. That's, that's highly recommended. That was, that was amazing. That, really good Father's Day. Uh, being a father is difficult. You, you don't have a manual when you come home. That tells you how to do it I was really hoping Brenda knew what she was doing because I sure knew I didn't know what I was doing but the Bible does give us some wonderful instructions and uh, one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 6 4 when it comes to fathers fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord the King James says do not provoke your children I like the New Living Translation do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, you know. Now, dads, sometimes we're pretty good at that, you know, but maybe it's because of the experiences we have. We're, we're pretty good at uh, provoking our children at times, you know. Uh, if, you're, if your kids were in sports, you know, and if you played sports, you, you know that the coaches you had often thought they were the next great coach, and so they would sometimes be pretty uh, bossy around you, and and didn't talk really nice to you, and and you kind of picked up on that. Uh, when my boys were playing basketball, their coach would it was kind of sometimes degrading to the kids as he was coaching them. My wife didn't know that you're not supposed to do this. She called the coach and said, "I don't care if my boys play, but I want you to talk to them nicer." my boys about died when they heard that, you know? But, uh, and then some of you worked at jobs where your boss thinks that the best way to get production is humiliation, that's a motivator. And then sometimes uh, we as dads follow that example. And so uh, we kind of take on that role of a coach or a a boss that's trying to manipulate people. And uh, our kids find that exasperating. And you say, well, uh, what does exasperate mean? Well, it means to irritate, to make worse. How do we as dads exasperate our children? Well, one reason we sometimes exasperate and we had this uh, standard of perfection. You know, uh, I coached my kids until Corey was 12 years old in basketball. He played a game, he scored 44 points. We're on the way home and I'm talking to him about the four shots that he missed and what he could have done a little different there. And then I looked over and saw the expression on his face, and I thought, it's time for me to quit coaching and become a cheerleader for my kids. Uh, you know, sometimes we get this expectation of our kids. They bring home, you know, five A's and a B, and we go, well, you, know, you could have had another A there. You know, and we get this, you know, perfectionist idea. And that's kind of exasperating the kids. And then sometimes we have inconsistency with our kids, and they don't really know which rule works? Is it no the first time you say it or the fifth time you say it? You know, when, when, is it, when does it mean no? And then we have this controlling behavior where we try to determine the direction of our kids' lives. We kind of plan out their future for them. And one of the churches I served, I had a young man that felt called to ministry. And he went home and he told his parents. And his father said, you will never be a minister. They don't get paid enough. So uh, you need to be an engineer or you need to be an architect. Well, he's now an attorney, but he's also an alcoholic. Inflexibility. Sometimes we say it's my way or the highway with pride. Well, your kids find that exasperating. You know, (laughs) they really do. I fear that many fathers fail to understand the incredible influence that we have on our kids, both positively and negatively. There was a survey done a number of years ago by Careers in College Magazine where they interviewed thousands of teenagers and 73% said, in answer to the question, whom do you most admire? They said, my father. Dads, you have this built-in hero worship. You need to use it to grow and develop children who chased after Jesus. Uh, We don't have a lot to go on when we we start this journey. And uh, sometimes we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do. But Paul, in less than 20 words, kind of lays it out for us. Father, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training of the Lord. It really comes down to one word for us as fathers. Our job description is to be a servant. Jesus talks a lot about servant leadership. The greatest will be least. The first will be last, you know. Uh, And so he tells us that we need to learn to serve others. And that's what we need to do as fathers. We are servant leaders. We're not the boss. We're servant leaders. So how do you live out a servant leadership in front of your children? Well, first you spend time with them. Another survey indicated that the average five-year-old spends less than 25 minutes a week in one-on-one time with dad. You say, well, that's not true. Well, you don't get to count TV, watching TV. You don't get to count while you're on the phone and they're on their computer. You don't get to count any of those times, just one-on-one time with your child. And it's drastically lacking. 1,000 teenagers were interviewed and they said, what would you want most from your father? And they said, more of his time more time to be with him. Listen to this advice from the Old Testament. It says, these commandments that I gave you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Dad, it takes more than three and a half minutes to positively influence the life of your child. Spending time with them is an investment, and it's an investment of your heart that you give to your children. Notice Paul says in Ephesians 6, to bring them up. There's only one way to bring them up, and effectively, and that's to invest your time with them. You can't bring them up with just one big event a year, you know, I'm going to take you to Disney or we're going to go on vacation for a week or we're going to do some big event. No, it's an everyday investment of your time in the life of your children. Now, I know you're all busy dads. Uh, I I had three boys in four years. We did together. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it, it was a crazy time. But... The most important thing you can give to your children is your time you got 18 years to impact their lives and you better use those 18 years wisely because it makes all the difference you know i meet so many dads they're they're trying to work so hard i want to leave an inheritance for my children what you leave behind after you're gone is not nearly as important as what you give them now not nearly as important It's not always easy to make all those functions of ball games and dance recitals and band practices. It's not always easy to get up and take them to church on Sunday. John Trent, uh, who's one of my favorite Christian psychiatrists, uh, shares two letters in his book on Christian parenting therapy, uh, Christian parenting today. And he shares a letter from two third graders The teacher gave them an assignment to to write, and this is what they wrote. The first one said, Dear Dad, I love it when you take me on dates. I like it when you play baseball with me. I really appreciate it. I like it when you tell jokes to me. I like it when you hug me and kiss me. Daddy, I love you. Then just four seats away on the next aisle, this little third grader wrote these words. Dear Daddy, I love you so much. When are you going to come to see me again, A-G-E-N? <laughs> I miss you very much. I love it when you take me to the pool. When am I going to get to spend the night at your house? Have you ever seen my house before? I want to see what your house looks like. When am I going to get to see you again? I love you, Daddy. One letter from a father who gets it. The investment of his time is the most important gift he gives his children. The other one comes from a father who, for whatever reason, has chosen, and yes, dads, it is a choice not to be there. When I was a young pastor, one of my best friends in the church was an incredible athlete. We played softball together, but this guy was good. He he had college offers in baseball and in, in basketball. His father was very involved in our church. He was on all the boards. He was chairman of everything. He was, you know, just anything needed to be done at the church, he was there. And so I I said to my friend, I said, boy, your dad must have been so proud of you watching you play ball and stuff. He goes, my dad never came to a single game that I played. And I thought, wow, that was sending a mixed message to your child. God's important, but you're not. You know, that's not what the Bible teaches. (laughs) We show our love for God by how we love those He entrusts into our lives. Bring them up. Be present in their lives. Be an example. When we say bring them up, it's not just training and instruction, you know, like a a drill sergeant. This means that we hear them, that we see their words, and that they see our actions beyond our words. A couple years ago, I was in the hospital. A father was dying. He was a non-believer, never had anything to do with the church. And his 30-year-old son and his wife walked in and they began to weep. And it hit me at that particular moment in life without Jesus, it is the saddest moment I know. It's the saddest moment I know. I was moved by a young single mom in my church in Daytona. Uh, She was playing the role of mother and father. And she always prayed for her kids. And we went on a missions trip, and she was sharing how she always prayed for her kids. But then it kind of hit her, I never pray with my kids. I pray for them. I don't pray with them. And they had never seen her pray in public for them. And she started doing that, and it made an immediate impact on their lives. Dads, our children tend to mimic the level of faith that we walk. If you're a casual Christian, your kids will probably be casual Christians. You know, if if you tend to to be uh, caught up in the politics of church, your kids will get caught up in that. It's important that we demonstrate to our kids what it looks like to be a devoted, passionate follower of Jesus. I grew up in the age when John Lennon was uh, a star. That dates me, I know. Highly valued as a musician, not just for his songs, but for the words to his song. Some of you remember he spoke out against war. And he said, all you need is love. And all we are saying is give peace a chance. And those words resonated with a lot of young people in, in, in my time. But several years ago, his son Julian came out with an article about his dad in Servant Magazine, and this is what he wrote. I felt he was a hypocrite. Dad could talk about peace and love out loud to the world, but he could never show it to the people who supposedly meant the most to him, his wife and his son. How can you talk about peace and love and have family in bits and pieces, no communication, adultery, divorce? You can't do it, not if you're being true and honest with yourself. Fathers, your children need to see you live the lessons you teach them. It's not enough to say this is what you should do. It's to demonstrate by your life the values that they should follow. There's there's certain life lessons that only we as parents can teach our children effectively. School won't do it, we have to do it. Who else is gonna teach them about persistence and determination? or about compassion and mercy and courage and sincerity. It needs to be you. They need to hear it from you. They need to see it from you. For many years, my mother carried the, the spiritual banner in our home. She took me to church. She took my sister to church. She was always the faithful one. And, you know, we went to every service every time the door was open. My dad didn't go to church. And my dad was a wonderful man. He was honest. He was sincere. He was funny. And he was absent a lot. Uh, For years, we ran a little country store, but then he worked construction. He'd be gone a week at a time. And dad and I didn't have a lot of deep conversations growing up. You know, I was in awe of him. He was larger than me. He was a a 6'4", big guy. And and I always wanted to, to be like dad, you know. Now, one thing I didn't like about Dad is that we always had the oldest car around. Our cars were always 10, 12 years old. And yeah, it's kind of tough when you're a teenager. And finally, my mom said Dad was going to get a new car, a new car, brand new. Man, I was excited. I just got my license, I could see myself pulling into the parking lot of the high school in that new car. Well, he went to the car dealer, and this little old lady had just traded in a 12-year-old Buick with only 29,000 miles. That was my new car. And uh, Dad didn't understand why I was a little disappointed in that. I never remember my dad hugging me until after my freshman year of college. I was getting ready to go back to school, and here's this big old guy. It's kind of awkward. He gives me this hug, but it meant the world to me. I mean, I knew he loved me, but he had a hard time showing it. My dad taught me some incredibly powerful lessons, even though he wasn't going to church. He was uh, incredibly generous. Even though we were poor, he was generous with the poor. We had this little country store and didn't make much money. And yet he would run tabs, he called them, for people that he knew would never pay him back. But if they needed something, he gave it to them. Did that for everybody. Everybody. Uh, he had this incredibly optimistic view of life dad was never down very much he laughed all the time he he would tell jokes and he would laugh at his jokes so hard that he never you could never hear the punchline he was always laughing so hard you didn't know what he said he loved my sister and he loved my mom passionately and he loved me but it was late in life that this kind and gentle man came to Christ and I remember I'd never seen Dad in a tie, but about four or five times in his life, and it was funerals. And I was preaching a sermon at my home church, one of my first sermons I ever preached. And the the worship service was over. The church was full, and and I got up to speak. And in walks this big old guy, with his tie crooked and his top collar open, and he sits down with this big smile. That said more that he loved me than anything he ever did was it was an amazing thing for me dad came to christ late in life and uh, i thank god in his grace that he allowed me to have those years with a christian father even though it was later in my life prepare them for the future dad from generation to generation brian wilkerson tells the story of 2004 olympics uh They were taking place in Athens, Greece. The American four by 100 team, girls team, was heavily favored to win the gold. Mainly because there was a a runner, Marion Jones, who was a superstar in the Australian Olympics. She won four gold medals. And so she was running the second leg of this race. And the night before, they had set the record uh, won by a mile over, over all the competition. And as she began her leg, she passed everybody up and she was passing the baton to a young girl, Lynette Williams, who was the new coming superstar. And on the first attempt they exchanged, they missed it. On the second attempt, they missed it. On the third attempt, they missed it. On the fourth attempt, they passed the baton, but they were out of the 20-yard zone and so the team was disqualified. Even though they were the fastest team by far, they didn't get the gold. As as important it is for the previous generation to set the pace for life, at some point, Dad, you got to pass the baton to the next generation. And that baton passing is incredibly important. And it's the result of thousands and thousands and thousands of times of practicing. You have 18 years to practice. Passing the baton. Every time you show tenderness, you're preparing the person for the next generation. Every time you spend time with your children, you're preparing to pass the baton. Every time you demonstrate what it means to be a man of God, you're passing the baton. Every time you show them how to be kind to others, you're passing the baton. Far too many fathers mess it up. It's so important that we do it well, and it's only by the grace of God that we do it well. Dads, uh, praise your children. We forget to verbally share how proud we are are of them. I, I hear fathers all the time talk about how much they love their kids, and I think, do you ever tell them? Do you tell them how important and how wonderful they are? We assume they know, and that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Tell them why you still can. It's so important. I'm constantly dealing as a pastor with adult children who are still trying to please their dad, and maybe their dad's been dead for 15 years. I just want to live my life so dad would be proud of me. That's how important it is that we affirm our children. Gary Smalley, in his powerful book, The Blessing, encourages modern fathers to pass on the blessing to their children. He uses the example of Jacob in in Genesis 49. And uh, as you read Genesis 49, some of the blessings that he gives to his sons don't sound necessarily like a blessing at first because he's pretty honest about it. Because you do this, you're probably not going to do this. But most of what he says is, Reuben, you're going to excel in power and honor. Dan, you're going to provoke justice in people. Asher, your food will be rich and you will provide delicacies, delicacies fit for a king. He goes through these sons and he, and he tells them their future. Now, Jacob was not a perfect father by any stretch of the imagination, but his sons went on to become the leaders of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. So what's the blessing that you and I as dads are to pass on to our children? We pass on a blessing of verbal affirmation. Children, long for you to say, I believe in you. Uh, Brenda and I like to watch American Pickers because we like to go to garage sales and thrift stores and stuff like that. And uh, American Pickers, you got these two guys, Mike and Frank, who go around and they buy what they call rusty gold. And they, they get stuff and, and I'll ask Brenda, how much you think that's worth? And she'll say Nothing to me, <laughs> but, but you know it's like five hundred dollars. I go, okay, we ought to find some of that. I, you know I, the stuff I buy is never worth anything, but anyway they're they're picking this ex uh, what somebody told me it's not ex it's former marine, he'd been a career guy uh in the marines, and uh very stoic and real hard negotiator and he's he's saying to them, guys uh you know this is the way it is, and then he Started sharing that much of this stuff came from his dad's estate, and his father was a former army guy. And uh, as he's talking about his dad, they said, "Well, your dad must have been really proud of you that that you went into the military." And this real tough guy all of a sudden begins to tear up, and he he doesn't he turns away from the camera because it's embarrassing. You know, you're a marine; you don't cry. You know, and he said. My dad called me once and told me that he was proud of me. It was the greatest moment of my life. It was the greatest moment of my life. We pass a blessing by attaching value. To bless means to honor. We give value when we stop and we listen to our children. Many children still hear in their minds those old tapes Can't you ever do anything right? Oh, move out of the way. I'll just do it myself. You're you're, going to mess it up. And that plays over in their head. I'm messing up. I'm not doing it right. What they need to hear is, I believe in you. You know, you're a kind person. I, I believe you'll be a great counselor. You're strong and courageous. I believe God's got great plans for your life. Don't forget to let your children know you believe there's a positive future for them. We must make the sacrifice of time and resources to allow our children to become who God wants them to be. My worship pastor in Lexington, Kentucky was Rod Martin. And Rod's kind of unusual for a worship pastor in the fact that he's a big jazz guy, loves jazz music. That's not the typical genre for worship pastors. And, uh, and Rod was telling me that when he was into jazz and he was going around and he was and most places you could see jazz was in a bar. And he goes, his dad, who was a church guy pastor, was pretty concerned about that. And his dad found out that in Colorado Springs, Colorado, every year there was a Christian jazz festival. And so he would take a week's vacation. He would save his money to pay for Rod to go. And Rod was exposed to people who loved his kind of music. Who also loved Jesus. His dad made that sacrifice because he wanted his son to follow his heart, but also follow his Lord. There's a song that our worship team sings that I love. I love it as much for the backstory as I do for the song itself. Mark and Sandy Job were high school sweethearts, they fell in love with each other, and uh, at 19, they were married. And they begin to tour around churches singing together and sharing together. And uh, then Sandy began to have some really severe headaches. They thought it was allergies. She wasn't feeling well. Finally, they went to a a specialist and they did uh, x-rays and they did an MRI and discovered that she had a brain tumor. And there was a tumor that was attached to her skull. And they said, it's going to be a very delicate surgery. We don't know if it's malignant or not. And so they had to remove two inches of her skull, and it was not malignant, and, and they were really grateful, and she went home. But she was still having these severe headaches, and they said, well, uh, you know, maybe it's some migraine medicine we gave you. And so she goes back to the surgeon, and they do some more testing, and they come out, and they say, well, we have Sandy, we have some really good news and some really bad news. The good news is it, the tumor's not there. You're, you're healing well. The bad news is you're pregnant. I'm pregnant? Yes, but all these tests and x-rays are taking place during the six to eight weeks of the child's early development. In all probability, the child will not live. If it does, it's gonna be deformed. It's gonna have all kinds of problems. We, we recommend termination. She said, you mean abortion? No, we prefer the term termination. Sandy went to talk to her husband, Mark, who was working a side job and, and his boss was a Christian. He goes, why don't you guys go home and, and talk about this? These two 19-year-old kids went home and knelt by their bed and said, God, you're the giver and taker of life. If you choose to take this life, we want you to do it naturally. And if you choose to let this child grow in my body, we're going to love it And we're going to trust your will. She went and made an appointment with, she called to make an appointment with a physician for her pregnancy. Expecting a recording, she got the doctor and she blurted out, I'm pregnant. He goes, congratulations. And she told him the story of what the surgeon had said. He goes, before you do anything, come see me. And if you choose to have this baby, I will walk with you through the pregnancy. It was a tough pregnancy. When she went into labor, her blood pressure went sky high. Uh, They had to do an emergency C-section. And then Mark walked in, wrapped up, this beautiful baby girl, perfect. And that girl, 30 plus years later, would write a song based on Numbers chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 20. God's blessing over us. In Exodus 20, it says, for those who follow Christ for generation after generation after generation. Don't you love that? It's who God is. Our children need us to be good and faithful servants, dads. Our children are depending on us to equip them for life, but also to equip them for the life beyond this life. But even more importantly, our measure should be not do they have a great career or not even if they have great personalities. Do they love Jesus? And if they're followers and lovers of Jesus, Dad, you've done a great job. You've done your job. This time, I want to ask all of you who are fathers to stand. If you're a father, please stand with me. <laughs> you're a good-looking group. You know? If one of you is a, a child of one of these dads, would you also stand this time? Your children are with you. Some of you don't have our children with us, but some of you do. That's great. I want to pray for you. Then the praise team's going to sing this song of blessing straight out of the scripture written by Carrie Jo, by the grace of God. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these men who stand in the gap to proclaim your love to their children and their grandchildren. Lord, give them strength and wisdom. We're not perfect dads. None of us are. But help us to be passionate followers of you. We ask these things in Christ's name.
1: Children and their children, and their children, may favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children, and their children, Raise favor be upon you and a thousand generations in your family and your children children. May His favor be upon you and a thousand generations your family and your children. And their children and their children, the children. May His presence go be before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. Morning in the evening, and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing. Peace for you, 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 peace for you. Savior be upon you in a thousand generations.
2: Pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for being our Father, the ultimate Father, the Father of humanity, the Father of our children. You're the ultimate role model, Lord God, and we thank you that we can look to you. We can look in your Word. We can have a deep, abiding relationship to you, with you to know how to best father and love our children. For the dads in this place, God, I pray for them. I pray that no matter what situation they're in, um, where they find themselves as a father, that you would bless them, show them favor, give them provision, give them wisdom and understanding, give them knowledge, Lord, give them grace as you've had so much grace on us. Give them the love they need to love their children and their families well. And Lord, may we be cycle breakers. If there's generational sin or issues in our family, God, may we be the ones to turn that corner, to change that, and not do it um, with a spiteful heart, Lord, but with a heart of grace and mercy and compassion. And we can change course. Through you, through your strength and your power, Lord, we can literally change course with the history of our family. Thank you, Lord, for um, the power of the cross and the power of your relationship with your son, Lord, and the example it is for us. May we celebrate our fathers well today, but may we celebrate you even more. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name.
1: And everybody say,